You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Good morning, everyone. Hey, if you're new here at Radiant Church, thank you for making Radiant a part of your weekend. My name is Marco. I'm the lead pastor here. Today is a very special morning because we are beginning our summer series here at Radiant Church. Now, every summer at Radiant Church, we go through a book of the Bible or we go through a portion of Scripture. And last year, last summer, some of you were a part of this. We went through several Psalms. Not all of them, of course, but we called it Summer in the Psalms. And today, for our summer series, it's entitled, obviously, you can see, uh, Kingdom Manifesto. And Kingdom Manifesto is uh, unique and special because this is an eight-week message series on a portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount known as the Beatitudes. And I want to just say a couple of things about the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. First of all, if you look in your New Testament in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, that's where you will find the Sermon on the Mount. Some of the most profound uh, words that Jesus ever spoke. And the purpose and the point of the Sermon on the Mount was really to show us the type or the kind of people we should be or are to be. And really the point of the Sermon on the Mount is to lead us or point us in the direction of what it looks like to be a devoted follower of Jesus, motivated by the heart rather than the law. That our obedience to Jesus should always come out of this heart relationship with God and not necessarily just religious obligation. Now, I want to just kind of describe this distinction of uh, what it means to obey God based on uh, the law and to obey God coming from your heart. Here's a quick example. Most of you guys came to church and you drove up on North Euclid, and I think if I'm not mistaken, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think the, the speed limit on North Euclid is 40 miles per hour, right? I don't know anyone who goes that slow in North Euclid, but I think that's what it is, right? Now, let's just say you're, you're coming to church each and every Sunday morning like you should be doing, of course, and you're zooming like 50, 55, because you're, you're so, like, you want to be here on, to worship on time. Yes, praise God for people here on time, and you're zooming at 55, right? And you're like, yeah, but then you notice a cop just camping out at, what is it, Beeson's Meat Market, and you're like, Whoa, slamming on the brakes. You're like, hello, officer, right? Going 39, only 39. Oh, maybe 38. You're motivated by the law. You're motivated by the law. Obedience is motivated by the law. Now, let's take, take that same situation, and let's say you're driving in the back of your truck, your SUV, your car. You have your precious child in the car seat. And they're three months old, and they are just a beautiful boy or girl, and um, now your motivation is slightly different. Your motivation it comes from the heart because you're thinking, I gotta slow down because why? I have this precious 
child whom I love so much, and I want to make sure they're safe. And so you slow down, and you're only going for Now you're obedient, but your obedience is not based on the law. It comes from what? A heart of love. And this is what Jesus is pointing us to in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look at these eight Beatitudes. Now, Beatitudes is literally, um, it's the Latin word for blessing, okay, blessing. And, and there are eight uh, Beatitudes that we see here in Matthew chapter 5. And I think a lot of us as Christians, we're pretty familiar with this, with this section of Scripture, but we're not always convinced or we're not always sure of how these are actually blessings. Because when we look at them, they are actually counterintuitive and they're counterculture. Just to warn you, they're counterintuitive and they're counterculture. Because imagine this, imagine this with me. If after church you walked up to a complete stranger and you had a question, and the question was simply this, hey, hey, what do you think it means to live a blessed life? What do you think it means to be blessed. And I think that the responses you would get would actually look like the opposite of what we're about to see in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, if you ask a person what it means to live a blessed life, I think you might get some responses like this. You're blessed if you have a lot of money, because who doesn't want to have a lot of money, right? Money is pretty beneficial to most of us, I think. What about this one? I think you're blessed if you're always happy, because who wants to be sad? I mean, mourning, grieving? That's, that sounds terrible, right? You're blessed when you're famous or you're in the spotlight because you're finally getting all the affirmation and the affection and the attention you've been craving, right? Yeah, I'm famous. I'm in the spotlight. You're blessed when you have lots of friends and no enemies. That sounds good, right? I don't want to have enemies. I don't want a lot of friends. I think you're blessed if you're never hungry and you always have plenty because no one wants to lack anything good, right? I think if we ask people that question, those are the responses that we would get. And then we turn to Matthew 5 and we in our Bibles and we look and we begin to read verse number 3. And it seems like what Jesus is saying is the opposite of what everyone else is saying. It's the opposite of what the world would tell us is a blessing. Jesus says things like, blessed are the poor, or blessed are the, those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Really? Blessed are the meek. Like that humility thing? Yeah, I'm not into that, Pastor Marco. Blessed are the persecuted. Whoa, 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 slow down. I don't live in the Middle East, okay? I'm not going to be persecuted for my faith, all right? Right, and we would look at these things and we would wonder in our own heads, how exactly are these actual blessings? That's what we're going to begin to look at and unpack for the next several weeks. And let me just say a few more things about these Beatitudes before we move forward. The Beatitudes have been somewhat compared to the Ten Commandments. There's a, little, there's a lot of literature on the comparison between this portion of Scripture and then that with Moses. We see in the Old Testament, Moses has these 10 commandments. And these are 10 things that you should not do, right? But in the New Testament, we have Jesus. He gives us eight things, or rather, of what we should be doing, 
what we should be living our lives into. And, and there's a comparison. Scholars and theologians sort of uh, draw these parallels between Jesus and Moses, and they say things like this, that Jesus is the greater Moses. Isn't that cool? Jesus went out by the mountainside, but it, it wasn't like Moses. Moses went on the mountainside, but that was Mount Sinai. Jesus had eight laws that were to be written on our heart, but Moses has, what, the Ten Commandments that were written on tablets of stone, and Jesus is the greater Moses. And Matthew has a message for us. He's drawing some uh, parallels between Jesus and Moses in this section of Scripture. Now, let me just say three more things that I think are really important for us as we study the Beatitudes over the next few months, the next couple of months. The first one is this. Number one, these are eight character traits that identify true followers of Christ. All right? Eight character traits that identify true followers of Christ. Now, let me just say this about these eight. They are a package deal, okay? You can't just say, man, I like number one. I'm not digging three, but I'm going to take me some five. I don't like seven, and I'll, but I'll take eight. This is not a la carte menu. This is not like the Chinese buffet. I'm going to take the dumplings, but I don't want the wontons because I don't know where they've been. And I'm going to take the, the lo mein noodles, but I don't want the fried rice. No, 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 no. This is a package deal. Do I got any Costco fans? Come on, make some noise if you're a Costco fan in here. Couple of five claps. Okay, that was pathetic. Whatever. All right. A Costco, you go for a one can of tuna. You're not getting one can of tuna. You're getting 56 cans of tuna, right? Like the whole thing, like a whole slab, a giant package of tuna. I don't know why I chose tuna, but I just chose tuna, okay? Now, listen, the Beatitudes, it's a package deal. You get them all. These are eight character traits. We don't get to choose. Number two, these traits open the door to what? To inner Happiness, they can literally be translated as, oh, how happy. The Greek word makarios literally means happy or fortunate. But remember, the world has its definition of what it means to be blessed. Money, fame, fortune, lots of friends. Jesus has his own definition, okay? And number three, these are progressive in intensity. These are progressive in intensity. Here's what I mean. With the first one in verse number three, that what we'll look at, Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, right? And that's like, oh, I kind of like that one. And Pastor Marco, I think I'm going to like this sermon. It sounds like it fits me. I like that one. But time, by the time we get to week eight, blessed are those who are persecuted. Wait, I didn't sign up for this. No, thanks. All right? So they become more intense as the list goes on but Jesus is just warming us up right now. He's so friendly. He's so kind. But I'm telling you, over the next eight weeks, you're going to get slammed. You're going to get karate chopped or karate punched, as my friend says, to the throat, right? The good old gospel punch, I like to say. And so this is what you're going to get into over the next several weeks. And I'm so excited to dive into these uh, in some more detail. Before we look at Matthew 5, you guys, because we're going to read the, all of the Beatitudes today, okay? It's only going to take us a couple of minutes. But before we do that, let's pray together. Let's ask God to just uh, open our hearts, our ears, so we can hear him, so we can respond. And uh, yeah, let's go before him. Lord, we love you. And right now, we're just coming before you, God, in uh, humility, God. And um, Lord, I just, I'm thinking of that song, I Stand in the Victory, the Victory of the Cross, Lord. May the cross never be old. May it never be something that we just simply 
get past, but let us be people of the cross, the people who live with the cross before us, and the cross behind us. And, and Jesus, do the work that you were sent to do is to save the seek the lost today. Holy Spirit, cement these truths into our heart, we pray. We ask that you might remove any distraction that we brought into. Lord, would you alleviate any physical pain in here today? And would you encourage those who are discouraged because they had a terrible week because of circumstances in their lives? Would you get their mind off of the mountain and put their mind on the mountain mover this morning? Jesus Christ, our rock, our king, our redeemer, we love you. Spirit of God, give us ears to hear. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's look at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to go through, we're going to begin in verse number 1 all the way to verse number 12. Buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be a ride. Here we go. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because you, or because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Eight Beatitudes blessings. And we're going to discover what these all mean. Let's back up. Let's reverse to verse number one. And let's talk about that for just a few moments. Jesus goes up onto the mountainside, and um, Jesus sees the crowds, but the disciples come to him. And um, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, it takes place on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And I want to show you just a quick photo of that, northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And um, this is not a photo that I took. However, my wife and I were here a couple years ago. And let me just tell you, it's absolutely stunning, absolutely beautiful. And we climbed up that mountainside where Jesus was. And, and um, Pastor Jim opened up the Bible, and he read the whole Sermon on the Mount to us, Matthew 5 through 7. And it was just, wow. We got goosebumps. It felt like we were these disciples here in Matthew chapter 5. Now, leave that picture up for just a few moments. I know that you can't really see it, but the topography of the land, or I'll just say it in layman's terms, the layout of the land is actually kind of amazing because it lends itself to the perfect acoustics that Jesus could speak at sort of the top of the mountain, and then everyone around him could hear perfectly his message. I mean, this was like the perfect spot for him to give the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, also, I want you to notice this, that it was customary for Jewish rabbis to sit when they expounded on the Scriptures. In fact, one of the commentators said that 
perhaps that when Jesus sat, the rest of the disciples stood. It's like, that's cool. I'm going to try that at Radiant Church. Would you guys all stand up for 45 minutes and then I sit? That'd be great. That'd be great for me. Some of you would leave the church probably, but it'd be awesome for me. And actually, I heard one guy say that the reason this was was to prevent people from falling asleep. Because if you fell asleep and you fell over, oh, we'd all know. That's right, right? And we would call you out, definitely, for sure, right? So Jesus is taking the posture of a typical Jewish rabbi by singing and expounding on the scriptures. Notice one other thing there earlier in what we looked at. It says this. It says that the, that the disciples came to Jesus. Now, when you hear this, I don't want you to simply think of the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles. The term disciple simply means a follower or um, a student or a pupil. And by this time, Jesus had hundreds of disciples, and this is probably what was taking place then. Jesus had hundreds of disciples. Now, the closer Jesus got to his crucifixion, <laughs> the more people started, you know, kind of, that, that number started to decrease. People were peeling off. They were like, ah, no, thank you. You said you're going to die, and you want me to die? <laughs> I'm good, Jesus. I'm out. Deuces, right? And so that number got really small the closer Jesus got to the crucifixion. Here's my point, though. My point is this, is that the original intent of the Sermon on the Mount was not intended for the general public. No, the Sermon on the Mount is intended for people who wanted to become devoted followers of Jesus, his disciples, and that this sermon, these Beatitudes, should be heard with ears from people who want to live devoted lives to Jesus Christ. This sermon is not for just the general public, but for followers. Let's get to the first one. Verse number three, we're going to camp out here for a while, by the way. It says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is what we're going to deal with today, okay? We're going to talk about this one today and this one only. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't simply say blessed are the poor. Now, in Luke's version of, this, uh, of these Beatitudes, uh, Luke's version actually says, blessed are the poor. He, doesn't, he actually keeps off poor in spirit, but not here. In Matthew's rendition of it, it's blessed are the poor in spirit, right? What is he speaking of? Well, Matthew or Jesus is actually speaking of what? Spiritual impoverishment. And you're thinking, oh, yeah, like unbelievers. No, 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 no. Remember, this sermon was meant for who? Disciples. Because I know some of us are like, yeah, yeah, like, like those unbelievers that people don't, they're far from God. They're spiritually impoverished. No, these are for our ears. Remember, this is the idea that when we approach God, we should have an understanding of just how destitute we are. We should be aware of our sinful condition. I'm going to summarize it like this because I think it's really easy, and I like, to, I like to take complex things and make them easy. Here's this one statement. It says, happiness begins when we see our emptiness and receive his fullness. Happiness begins, listen, when we see our emptiness 
And therefore, we can what? We can receive his fullness. The great and late John Stott, who was a theologian, scholar, and pastor, said this about the poor in spirit. He says this, to be poor in spirit is to acknowledge our spiritual bankruptcy before God. Bankruptcy means like ruin, by the way. Like if you filed for bankruptcy, that's financial ruin. So think and apply this to spirit, our spirituality. This is our spiritual ruin before God. For we are sinners under the holy wrath of God and deserving nothing but his judgment. We have nothing to offer, nothing to plead, nothing with, with which to buy the favor of heaven. You're glad you came to be encouraged at church this morning, right? A.W. Tozer, he said this, our feverish activity is only one sign of what is wrong with us. He's talking about the nature of sin, right? Sin has plunged us into, the, into what? Into the depths and so marked us with mortality that we become brother to the clay. But God never meant it to be so. Not good. Brilliant men of God, Right? I love, what, I love what Stott says, though. Stott says we have nothing to offer, nothing to plead, and we cannot buy the favor of heaven. We can't earn our way into God's kingdom, right? We really literally offer God nothing, right? And we bring our nothing, I think is what one worship artist says. I love that phrase, bringing God our nothing. I think it's Shane and Shane. It's such an amazing phrase, Right? Jesus says we are blessed when we realize our emptiness and our own sinful condition. And you're thinking, well, why? I'm going to do that. Well, here's why. The reason why is because when we are at this point, this is the point where we truly recognize and realize what? Our need for a Savior. Our need to be saved. Our need, perhaps, perhaps our need to what? To reprioritize our lives. When we become poor in spirit, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is yours, the poor in spirit. Now, this is much easier said than done in our culture currently, okay? Well, why is that? Well, we live in the sort of the age of the self-help culture the make-me-feel-good culture, the butter-my-roll culture, the say-how-awesome-I-am culture, right? We live in that type of culture. We live in the middle of a culture where sin has now become non-existent. We live in a culture where the only sin now is not allowing people to be who they think they should be. I think I should be this. Well, not quite. No one wants to hear that they are spiritually bankrupt, right? And I get that. I, I, yeah, we'd rather be told how awesome we are, how good we are. We'd rather be encouraged to follow our hearts. We'd rather be encouraged to what? Here's what we hear. Live our truth. I'm just living my truth. Okay, your truth. Huh? You have a... Give a corner on truth now. Okay, okay, wow. Live your truth. All right, right. We'd rather be told how amazing we are, right? In fact, the whole idea of spiritual poverty may be rubbing some of you the wrong way. How great am I, God? Oh, sing with me how great 
am I God? And oh, sing how great, how great am I God? Come on, sing with me, church. That's the song we want to sing. Oh, it's how great is our God. Oh, whoops. Oh, silly me. I forgot the lyrics. I thought we were talking about me. My bad, right? No one's going to sing that song, How Great Am I, right? That's, but that's the song we want to sing. And some of us, maybe rightly so, maybe we're asking, well, who says I've sinned and by what standard have I sinned? Oh, come on. This is my first time at Radiant Church. You want me to come back, don't you? Oh, you want me to come back? Don't I mean, come on. Oh, the mug's not enough for me. You better preach a good sermon. Oh, sorry, Carter. I told them about the mug. My bad. Oh, come on. Listen, 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 listen. I'm not perfect. But who is? Hey, 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 listen. I, okay, okay, okay. I get it, preacher man. I've made mistakes. But overall, notice what I say. I feel like I'm a good person. The age of feelings, culture of feelings. I feel, therefore I am. Now, let me just kind of cut the tension with a knife, just in case. It's getting weird and awkward. Let me say this. Here's the good news. You are free to feel however you want to feel. And guess what? You're entitled to your feelings. Ah, awesome, right? You're entitled to your feelings. But that's not what it means to be poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit doesn't mean, hey, I made a few mistakes, but come on. To be poor in spirit doesn't mean, hey, listen, I know I'm not perfect, blah, 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 Christian religious people, yada, 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 I get it. That's not what it means to be poor in spirit, okay? I hate to break it to you, right? To be poor in spirit is to realize, to recognize that apart from Jesus Christ, listen, listen, some of you need to hear this, we are entirely sinful and broken. I get the sentiment, he was a good person. I get that sentiment, and I never bash it, I never, I'm never that guy. Why does this matter, Marco, why? Why did Jesus start with this? Ah, oh, I'm not coming back the rest of the summer. Wait till we get a new sermon series. Here's why it's important. Because when we don't recognize our spiritual impoverishment, we don't see our need for Jesus. We don't see our need for saving. When we don't acknowledge our depravity, our sinful condition, we'll never cry out to God. And I'm talking to Christians. This is meant for Christians. So don't be offended. Or be offended. That's fine. When we don't realize our spiritual poverty, we'll never reprioritize our lives to reflect what? A pursuit of God. A pursuit of God. We'll never reprioritize things. And that's what maybe some of us should do. Perhaps the best example in the New Testament of how our riches and how our wealth sort of distract us or um, deceive us from crying out to God comes in Revelation chapter 3, and this is the letter 
to the church in Laodicea. Revelation, anybody? There's seven letters, different churches. There were re real churches. Happened in history, by the way, okay? These were real letters written to real churches, but the application of them is what? For all of us now, okay? It's for all of us now. And these are the words of Jesus. And I want you to notice the words of Jesus because they're not, they're not the teddy bear cuddly words from Jesus, okay? Here's what Jesus says. He says, you say, this is where Jesus, you say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I got three side hustles. I got the fifth wheel up north. I got the extra house. I'm selling this product now. You say I got plenty. You say I got enough food in my pantry to last the apocalypse. You say I'll never need anything in my life. Jesus says, I hate to break it to you. You do not realize that you are what? Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus' counsel. I counsel then, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. You can become rich, true riches, white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can what? So you can see now. You can, actually, you can see something. You can see what your true spiritual state is. This is what Jesus wants us to see. So you'll cry out for him so you have a, a, a posture of humility to Jesus. So you'll, you'll reprioritize your life. This is what Jesus is trying to, to get us to do. For Christians, not, not non-believers, Christians, this is what we're talking about here. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, and I stand at the door, and I'm knocking. Right? So for some of you, you've been knocking for forever. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, and I will eat with that person, and they with me. What's that mean? Fellowship with Jesus, with the creator of the universe. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to what? To the churches. Not to the unbelievers, not to the dark, not to all those people sitting over there. To the churches, right? He says, listen, you, you think you're rich. to break it to you. Think of Radiant, let's, let's, think of, let's think of Radiant Church right now, right? This is the example I used in first service, right? Radiant Church, um, I can proudly, with proudly and honestly say that Radiant Church, we are we're financially healthy, praise God. We are financially sound. Bills are paid. We got money for projects. We got money to give to the poor. We're money for missionaries. We're, we're doing great things. God's kingdom, God is resourcing the kingdom work here at Radiant Church, right? And that, praise God for, I'm so grateful for that, by the way, okay? However, the message to me can say, Marco, hey, just because you got a great budget doesn't mean your church is where it needs to be at. It, it could be that Radiant Church is more naked, poor, right? Ruined than they actually believe blind. Laodicea actually was a city, and it had become a wealthy city because of the banking industry. And so what happened was that the church there 
they were deceived and they believed it like the world believed. They believed because they had wealth, because they had resources, that everything was fine. And Jesus says, you're not fine. You're not good. And I love you enough to tell you what Jesus is saying to all of us here. And I think many times money or material possessions, sometimes I think masks our spiritual poverty. We don't realize it because we have so many things that supposedly bring us comfort, but we can't see our true need for God. This is the plague of the American church, by the way. So Jesus says this, I want, you, I want you to buy gold refined by fire. In the scripture, fire represents pretty much always two things, judgment and the purification of sin. So Jesus says, I want you to, it's a metaphor for the cleansing from sin. Jesus says, when you're cleansed from sin, that's the true wealth. That's riches, white clothes, standing before me and knowing, listen, that I'm your savior, knowing that without me you have nothing, right? And so maybe instead of resisting spiritual poverty, maybe we should begin to embrace it. And as we do, I think there are four results that will take place, four results from embracing our spiritual poverty. Number one, hunger for the things of God. When you understand your need for God, it fuels your desire for God. In verse number six, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, I'm not going to say anything else because we'll get there in a couple more weeks, right? Hunger for God. Number two. Dependence upon God. I think when we realize our spiritual poverty, it leads to dependence upon God. Because here's what happens. Inner pride tends to point out what's wrong with everybody else, but won't look at themselves, right? Inner pride says, this is what's wrong with you. That's what's wrong with you. That's what's wrong with you, 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 and you. So many things wrong. It will never look inwardly. Number three, becoming poor in spirit leads to, I believe, a reordering of priorities. A reordering of priorities. Christians, I'm talking to Christians right now. A reordering of priorities. You're not spending the time that you should with your family. But when you become poor in spirit, that's going to change for you. You're not discipling your kids at home. We're not, no, no, we're not perfect. No, maybe we're not quite sure how to do it. But when you become poor in spirit, it starts to, your heart changes, and you're like, how do I, how do I invest in this little life? How do I sit down with him and pass the faith down? Maybe you're spending time on things you shouldn't be spending time on, things that maybe don't bring real life. There's a reprioritization in your life. And of course, number four, when you become poor in spirit, leads to what? Relationship with Jesus. We know that, right? 
maybe we could say renewed relationship with Jesus. I want to reiterate my first point, but I've changed it slightly to more embrace maybe a more literal translation of Matthew 5, verse 3, and it's this. Oh, how happy are those who see their emptiness and receive his fullness. Wow. Oh, how happy are those who see their emptiness. I'm just empty on the inside, God, and I need you to fill me, right? receive his fullness. We're going to close in just a couple minutes. But I want to close with this. I discovered this this week as I was looking at several resources. Did you know that the older the Apostle Paul got, the more he became aware of his spiritual poverty? It's true. I learned this. Two years before the Apostle Paul died, and after 30 years, 30 years, that's a good amount of time, of following Jesus, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, I am the worst of all sinners. Some translations say this, I'm the chief sinners. And by the way, this is not a this is not, this wasn't a woe is me, beating myself up, low self-esteem posture that Paul had. Oh, I guess I'm not good enough. I don't do that good enough. No, 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 no. Don't walk out of the door saying, Pastor Michael said I'm not a good person. <laughs> no, this is not, this is not what the message is about. You're not getting it. All right? This is a message about that is supposed to turn our hearts that when we begin, listen, it's a posture of humility that should lead to a zeal to know Christ. That's what it's about. It's not about walking out of here and saying, oh, I'm not a good dad. Oh, no, no. Just don't do that. Would you please don't do that? It's going to bug me if you do, okay? If I hear about it, Facebook message you. Don't walk out of here with that woe is me, right, Eeyore mentality. This is a posture of humility that comes from recognizing our spiritual state that should lead to what? Zeal to know Jesus. Come on, I want Jesus more than anything. Come on, that means I got to reprioritize some things in my life. Come on, I haven't been to church in six months. It's time for me and my family to serve the Lord. No longer, right? No longer. And for some of you, you need that. You need a awakening. You need a, you need a slap in the face. I can just be honest with you. To wake up. Wake up. The end is near. And I'm not an alarmist, but listen, the days are, it's, it's coming closer. And I say that with all my heart and all humility, right? Turn to Jesus. Stop playing with meaningless things and turn to him. Realize, man, I'm poor in spirit. I'm impoverished. I don't have nothing apart from Jesus. And all I want is him. Turn to him. That's what this is about. Spend time with the people you need to spend time with. Devote your life to raising up your kids in a godly way. Just turn and do it. Don't cry about it. Turn and do it. 
This is what this message is about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, how happy are those who realize their emptiness so they can receive what? The fullness of God. Yes, the fullness of God, right? That's what we're after here this morning, the fullness of God. And so here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pray with you in a second, but let's pray today. Let's pray for a fresh awareness of our spiritual poverty and then thank God for his generosity towards us in Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to, we're going to pray for a new awareness, but then we're going to thank God for what? It's his generosity towards us in Jesus. That we don't have to walk out saying, woe is me. Whoa, oh, da, 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 da. No, 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 no. He's been generous. So receive it. Open your hearts. Turn. Come on, make, make the choice. Come on, Bay City, we need you. We don't need you staying at home on the sidelines. We need an active church. Church ready to go into the battlefield. Proclaim the righteousness of Christ. Show people the love of Jesus. Serve with the real hands, real feet. <laughs> what a difference that would make. And I'm getting a little bit fired up maybe, but that's what we need, right? Blessed the poor spirits. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. And in a posture of humility, God, we come to you, God. We recognize, God, we are destitute, broken, lost, playing in the mud, some of us, contemplating our fears, anxieties, God. And God, we need you. Today, we say we need you. We cry out to you. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we need you. Come on, just say it out loud if you want to. Oh, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we need you. Come on, those watching online. Oh, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we need you. That's that, that, if you don't know what to pray, that's all you can, that, that's, all, that's a perfect prayer. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be long. Jesus, we need you. So God, break our hearts for the things that break your heart. And God, show us our true conditions. Show us our impoverishment. Show us how bankrupt we truly are. We think we're rich. We think we have plenty. But God, it could be for some of us that we are actually poor, naked, God, bankrupt, without anything. God, would you show us this morning, God? And we thank you for the riches that are in Jesus Christ. Oh, how happy. God, we're happy this morning. We're happy because we realize that we're empty. But in you, we have everything. In you lies the answers of life. In you are the true treasures we long for, God. We're longing for. And so right now, our soul cries out. This deep cries out to deep. Oh, Jesus, we need. Oh, Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come. Oh, Spirit of the living God, move in this place, move in this house. Every heart, every life represented here and online. Oh, Spirit of God, move right now. We're, we're waiting on you. We don't have anywhere to be that's more important than right here and right now with you. 
Spirit of the living God, come and move in our hearts. We want you. God, we want your fullness. We want the kingdom of heaven. We want the kingdom's riches and wealth. Oh, God, we need you. And so we cry out. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's clap our hands this morning, church. Come on, God is good. He's so good. Hey, we want to pray for you this morning. I'll be up here, and uh, some of our leaders will be here. We would love to partner with you with whatever you're going through. If we can encourage you, if we can come alongside you in the faith, that's what we want to do. So come on up. As soon as we dismiss, just come on up. We'd love to pray with you and encourage your heart. Enjoy your Sunday, guys. Guys, it's a beautiful day out, out there, and uh, we can't wait to see you um, next week when we start part two of a Kingdom Manifesto. We love you guys. God bless you.